This episode is dedicated to the memory of Stefan Clark. I do not consent to living in a culture where his murderers and the murderers of so many other innocent unarmed black men are currently on paid vacation. Welcome to episode six of Culture of Consent with King. Cock. Today we're going to talk about spirituals and freedom songs, trauma, consent, and fantastical futures with Clarence Haynes from Huffington Post, and some deep thoughts on outer space, obviously, culture. Okay. From the time when the first ships from the African continent landed here in the Americas, enslaved Africans recreated the rhythms and tones and melodies and the essence of our homelands, intermingled with the Christian indoctrination by the white settlers. And this syncretic sound became the foundation of all modern American music. Yeah, you know, the spirituals, and then blues and jazz and everything else we love and we know to be traditional American music. These sounds of the spiritual served as work songs, lullabies, encoded messaging systems, storytelling opportunities, and many of them also became the foundation of the freedom songs used to rally activists in the civil rights movement. Right now we're listening to the staple singers singing a song called Freedom Highway. So it's these same songs with lyrics about a land on high where freedom waits, that had the capacity to bring about a clarity of vision for some of the greatest activists of our modern era. These songs are the original soul music, the original rap song, the first call and response track to build collective dreams of freedom, either toward the land that was lost or a land of some possible future. So the roots of the American economy are based on non-consensual labor, the enslavement of Africans, the exploitation of immigrant labor, the prison industrial complex, which has resulted in generations of traumatized peoples seeking a road to healing. Trauma is the Greek word for wound, whether that's physical or emotional, and we try to heal it in many different forms. So for this episode, I want to explore how our fantasies have become ways of reimagining our sense of space and time, a place where consent is ever present because we're in our own minds. To start us off, Here's a quote from Robin D.G. Kelly's book, Freedom Dreams, The Black Radical Imagination. Without new visions, we don't know what to build, only what to knock down. We not only end up confused, rudderless, and cynical, but we forget that making a revolution is not a series of clever maneuvers and tactics, but a process that can and must transform us. That's dope. He's he's basically asking us, what is the power of envisioning a new reality that can be an escape from recurrent trauma? And can we heal through that fantasy? The late great science fiction author Octavia Butler once said, I was attracted to science fiction because it was so wide open. I was able to do anything and there were no walls to hem you in and there was no human condition that you were stopped from examining. So I'm wondering, have we noticed a burst in science fiction themed movies and films and TV shows, series, novels, brimming with the hyper-realistic fantastical elements ever since the most recent president was put into office? 
Are we normalizing this once super nerdy interest because we're all needing a bit of an escape route from our lived realities? I think people in this country are very, very aware of how fantasy can reframe a lived reality. And I think right now we're hopping on that train towards envisioning a new future for ourselves. So for our, my interview today, I brought in Clarence Haynes, author, editor, and comic book enthusiast to talk a little bit about our current cultural attitudes towards science fiction and the fantasy genre and how that's impacting our impression of ourselves and the world around us. Stay with me. <laughs> Some podcasts are always saying that. Don't go anywhere. Culture of Consent with King returns in a moment. Today, I'd like to welcome into the studio Clarence Haynes. We actually met each other through the performance art world a few years ago, but he is actually a renowned, successful, and very impressively decorated editor. And I will let you talk a little bit about your work to give more context and more detail um, to what it is that you do, which I find so impressive and interesting all the time. Um, so welcome, Clarence. Um, good to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Leah. Uh, a pleasure. Um, and you are very kind. Um, uh, I, I work as a uh, freelance uh, book editor, uh, both developmental editing and copy editing, then also do uh, quite a bit of content management for online media and writing when time permits, um, including cultural criticism, which is a love of mine. And um, yeah, it's a pleasure, pleasure to be here. I definitely would like to hear a little bit about your perspective on how um, cultures of consent are, are thought about and really delved into in the comic universe and in science fiction, because we can look at it as a really fabulous parallel way of thinking about what's happening in our current uh, nonfiction life. That, that's sort of what fantasy gives us, mm -hmm. a, a different perspective. And so if you could maybe speak to that a little bit. I think, well, you know, on a fundamental level, I think that um, one of my favorite things around uh, sci-fi fantasy, some comic book titles, I can't say all, but certainly I feel like one can easily find women who are powerful, who have agency, who are in control of their bodies, who are um, not seen as less than because of their biological sex or gender identity. And I do believe that when it comes to matters of of consent, assault, dehumanization, that narratives are a fundamental part of how we relate to each other as human beings. I think if you see someone else as a fully actualized person, being a fellow somebody who has desires and a yearning for freedom and a yearning for choice that you would have that Therefore, the, these uh, this idea of a lack of consent or having ownership of someone else's body would be completely foreign. And I think the type of, when we're looking at stories, I do think it's very important to see who are the characters? What, what are the stories telling us about um, who might be considered less than, who might be considered an object, who might be considered someone who is very clearly um, of secondary importance 
uh, to the protagonist, you know. Mm. And so I, I, I think those are important things to look at, even if, even if uh, a story isn't directly around consent, um, what the figures, what who the characters are in a particular story and how powerful they are and what the, what, what the story is telling us, I think plays a major role in just sort of how we go about thinking around, mm-hmm. you know, uh, consent. So Yeah, definitely. Why do you think that is that, that fantasy narratives tend to let us be more whole humans with complete and full backstories that aren't beholden to the sort of over-sexualized female or the straight white dominant male, male narrative or other sort of problematic tropes that occur a lot in, in our, our pop culture references to film and movie. Why do you think that the fantasy genre kind of kind of equalizes the playing field in a lot of ways? You, well, you know, um, uh, fantasy is, is, has its own history of, you know, um, sexism and, you know, gender inequality uh, and I'm racism. Sure. So, yeah. so certainly okay. don't want to say that, you know, yeah. it's... it's um, without sin, same thing with comics and uh-huh. you know all genres really. Uh-huh. Um, but my take is, you're dealing with a genre that immediately often will subvert what's considered normal. Um, that mm-hmm. you know the, the premise is to not just sort of present the same old same old and mm-hmm. to sort of go against the grain and to mm-hmm. um, look at a particular dynamic that we have and say, well, no, what, how can we play with this? Do we, what we can look at this allegorically. We can, uh, create satire. We can, um, do something completely out of this world. And you're literally sometimes dealing with beings who are <laughs> from mm. another world. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting um, to reflect back on what you were saying earlier. You know, I do a lot of empowerment trainings in the city. And one of the things that we say a lot to the the groups that I'm working with are, you know, you can't be what you can't see in the realm of um, looking for for media and representations of ourselves really helps em- empower us to to be our greatest selves. Everyone thing from, you know, Michelle Obama to um, D- different characters in our favorite TV shows, um, and we can really see ourselves reflected in, in multitude, then our, our capacity to dream becomes even bigger. Right. And so um, to look at some specific examples of that in pop culture, I know that um, both of us have seen Black Panther yeah, a few Panther, times. The, the, the movie the that, is, film. <laughs> that yeah. is sucking every other movie. Yeah, it's like, it beats another one. It beats another one, exactly. <laughs> so like... Um, I, I mean, I think that's that's beautiful. And so if we, we think about the ideas of, of consent to representation is something I've covered a lot on the podcast and I keep coming back to and sort of, um, and we're also talking about consent in regards to gender. And I think that Black Panther played into a lot of these ideas around what what we can and, and can't do in culture and society and kind of subverted yeah. all of that by in a really natural way. Yes. Um, and I'm not I going agree. to apologize to anyone who's listening if there are any spoilers because they should have seen this film by now. Because <laughs> damn it, <laughs> if you haven't seen it, I, don't, I, I, got, I got nothing for you. So we're just going to make the assumption that everyone has seen it and just kind of go from there. So don't worry about that. Okay, well, I'll, I'll try to be... Um, uh, Part of my business is sometimes be vague um, when stating, still oh, yeah. making a point. Around okay, <laughs> get, get all the way in there. But yeah, I mean, if you could speak to that a little bit about how, how this sort of 
pseudo fantasy world that was created was actually emblematic of a lot of the structural changes that we want to see in our society. Right, right. Well, let, and you know, um, I thought the women stole the show. Well, a number of things. Um, in terms of the main character, T'Challa, um, I thought he was a refreshing representation of manhood and what it means to be a king because in many ways he's very quiet and he's very um, hmm. subsumed and he's mm -hmm. sort of subsumed may not be the right word but he he springs into action when he needs to mm -hmm. um, and he's quite he seems quite comfortable with sort of being a reserved monarch mm -hmm. and taking in things as he needs to take things in the women I thought stole completely stole the show um just in terms of having much more overtly powerful personalities and well-rounded personalities and uh everyone from uh nakia the the spy and t'challa's love interest uh, played mm -hmm. by lupita nyango uh general uh okoye um and of course um shuri you know t'challa's mm -hmm. sister the yeah. scientist Loved each her different each powerful in different ways yet simultaneously well-rounded there are two of them uh for lopita's character there is a tension between her and t'challa and seems like she's more choosing her career and her freedom mm -hmm. over love over being with this man and mm -hmm. then at one point the general blatantly makes it clear to her love interest right. she chooses her her right. country you know one of those super um, quoted lines from the film as yeah well. mm -hmm. she, she chooses wakanda yeah, yeah. she mm -hmm. there's unequivocally yeah. and I, I think what's quite interesting then about this right is that we are seeing women who are not less than who are by no means secondary who are by no means um seen as oh well you are fodder for um whatever i need for you to be fodder for um mm -hmm. complete autonomous human beings and then mm -hmm. I, I i think these are things that particularly for young viewers um it sets up a certain type of dynamic it subverts the dynamic that women are are um uh supposed to sort of be um you know have no agency or have no um uh dreams and and paths of their own mm -hmm. and uh, you know i often think about then how this plays into issues around consent if you don't see because I, I just firmly believe if you see someone as less than if you see someone as not a fully actualized human being then of course they don't, you don't need to mm -hmm. um have a conversation around what they want what they feel comfortable mm -hmm. with um and if those people aren't allowed to have agency in their own in their own world then then you, you don't you're not assuming that they are that they are worthy of consent right right so one of my i mean i have no idea if this is related to our conversation but one of my favorite moments in the film is when the the lead general pulls the um right, the, the, the wig, wig off of her <laughs> hair and she's just saying fuck this i don't want this on my head like i i i howled with laughter i mean right. so did all my friends that i was sitting with and i just because she she did not want that's just not who she was it's right. not how she saw herself in that moment 
And it wasn't so much this like feminine, masculine kind of moment. It was just an, a, a sense of, of personal autonomy and authenticity where she was like, here's who I am. I am someone who is beautiful without this sort of fake right. idea of what beauty is supposed to look like, regardless of who's decided what the beauty is supposed to be. Right. This is not what she wanted to be doing right now. Right. She's a general. She's a soldier. She's ready to beat some ass. And right. she came here to do, do a right. job. <laughs> and I thought that was a really beautiful moment. And so there are these ideas of setting up certain kinds of, um, of sort of gen like they weren't gendered roles because people were playing individuals and that's how I think we subvert right. the sexist dynamic I agree. is where people aren't playing a woman and you, they're not making uh, actions and making choices based off of their gender they're, it's based off of their character and their desire I saw a similar thing in the Star Wars film that just came out right. uh, no no the one the sec what, what's the Star Wars film that the last Jedi, not, not the for, no, but the Force Awakens, right? Yes. The yeah. One. So I saw a similar thing in Force Awakens. I, I I felt like that was one of the, my first time seeing this on screen, where the 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 new Jedi character, she doesn't. It, it knocked me out in the first fifteen minutes of the film that she's not playing a lady Jedi. She's playing a Jedi, right? Who happens to be a woman, right? Which is really different than her saying like, Ray. "Oops, I can't." Oh, Ray, right? <laughs> Oops, you know, I can't use my lightsaber because my boobs are getting well, in my way. Do you remember when like, we um we saw together um the uh the Ghostbusters remake with the right. four um, lead women? And do you remember when we were sitting next to each other and there was a scene where uh they had to um the the house was haunted in some way and they had to um. You know they were were going to investigate, and they were just doing it all together. It was just women talking about themselves. Like, okay, this is what we're gonna do, 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 and the man is just sort of standing there, like, okay, well, you know, just looking on. <laughs> like, yeah. Do it because they had it. They and that was intentional. They, that was sort of like a very intentional commentary right. on men usually taking the lead. And that's what I thought was so interesting about Star Wars is that they weren't saying men are not going to be at the forefront of this film. <laughs> they just went ahead and did it. Right. You know, and the same thing happened with the most recent Star Wars where um, I, don't, I, don't, I guess I don't remember any character's names. I can get them all in there later. But um, where, again, like people, they aren't playing, people aren't playing a gender. So it goes way better than whether or not something passes the Bechdel test. Because right. that's something that I, I, I can't un get I, I can't see a film these days and not think about the Bechdel test for those that don't know Alison Bechdel is a cultural historian cultural critic who um, devised something that we, we call the Bechdel test which means that um, in a movie something a film passes the Bechdel test if two women have a conversation about something other than a man and it's very interesting because most of your favorite films do not do pass, not pass yeah. the Bechdel and she's, test and she's a um uh uh I she's guess a one comic could see a mem too. Yeah, she's a memoirist and, and uh, comic graphic novel right. author. Yeah, yeah, she has some really, yeah. really amazing graphic novels. True, yeah. true, true. <laughs> so I, I, I think it's – so at this, I'm at a point now where I don't just want something to pass the test. I want it to also just be an interesting, dynamic film that's about characters doing things. And they aren't – it reminds me of um, the Thousand Black Girl books, uh, Marley, Marley Diaz, the 13-year-old activist. And she said she was tired of reading books about white guys and their dogs. <laughs> and I was like, right. It's not just that we want two women who happen to talk about a dog. It's that we want a whole story about a young black girl that goes and has an adventure. We want a story about a queer Korean kid that goes and has an adventure. Like, we just want other stories. We just right. want new narratives because you can't be what you can't see. Right. So, you know, that's our theme. Right, 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 right. And it's, it's um, uh, I think it's always worthwhile 
to stop and check what our stories are telling us. Some of it can be quite overt, um, you know, but, you know, sometimes I, I think it's worthwhile to take a step back from what from whatever you've watched, even if it's fluff, junk, or whatever, and be like, what was this? What's the under what is this saying? What what is this really telling us? So something that's really nice about our the, the increased awareness around this science fiction world, as well as all the different kinds of film and movie and t- movies and TV that are coming out now, is expanding those narratives and giving us yes. different windows. And I wonder sometimes if it's because of the internet that more, um, and also the proliferation of Apple products, that more people are um, able to make film and video and TV and music. Um, so that we're able to tell different kinds of stories? Well, a couple of things. I I can't really speak to the road that it took to get Black Panther made. It seemed like it it wasn't too arduous of a process. Um, You know, I'm not privy to... to, Like, ask Ryan Coogler. Yeah, but it seemed seemed like he was supported. Um, But, for instance, the film, like, Wonder Woman, which how many Batmans and Supermans (laughs) were made before, um, you know... Wonder Woman, you know, finally hit and it did so well. And when films like Wonder Woman do so well and Black Panther, you know, doing tremendously, that's just not who would be perceived as the core audience going to see these things. That's mm-hmm. everybody is mm-hmm. going to see Black Panther. Everybody is going to see Wonder Woman because they find the story interesting and mm. because there's something freeing around not necessarily always learning or or seeing yourself reflected by someone who has to look exactly like you or has mm. to sort of, oh, well, I need, if I am this and this, then mm-hmm. this person needs to be this and this for me to connect with their story. Absolutely. It's so interesting. You know, you're making me think of is the whole James Bond 007 thing that happened with um, everybody's internet boyfriend, Idris Elba, and how there was this sort of rumbling in the in the internet universe that he was going to be the next 007. And people went crazy. They're like, James Bond can't be black. And everyone was like, well, but why not? Why like, not? Because he's red. <laughs> because he's, he's from an old time because and it's like well you just all this like he's totally english he's like super yeah. english have you heard him speak and people were like but you know you you read the stories and, and the story was written by this guy and and the guy you know specified that he well it's just that and, and there, there was no argument so people were like well why why is it why is it that the the invisible identity the sort of like not the non-scene standard human is this sort of like straight white guy in his 30s, 40s, and that's what we're going to base everything else off of because that's what we can all just generally generally relate to first. And all this other stuff is a minority or is a whoever. That's not true. It's not Anybody true. would come see Idris Elba just how everybody is going to see Black Panther right. or a lot of people want to see Wonder Woman. There is no such thing as we only all want to see one kind no. of thing. We can only identify with only one thing. And that's kind of where this like normalization of stories kind of becomes this a problem because I think about how um, in in American society, everybody 
has to be familiar with and identify with the this sort of straight white Christian male ethos because that's who's running a lot of well, our it's, show. Well, it's also interesting though um, because you know I'm a native New Yorker. And I'm so a native New Yorker. <laughs> I'll put that song in right there. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, Leah. <laughs> I love that song. <laughs> and, um, not related, sorry. Not related. <laughs> no, no worries. And um, it's really only in adulthood that then I began to understand because New York, particularly New York, growing up in the 70s, 80s, 90s, it was a particular thing. Um, it's still a particular thing in many ways, but New York is 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 so different from America in that you just have a high level of diversity in mm-hmm. a sort mm-hmm. of relatively small mm-hmm. geographical space. Right. And so I didn't fully understand or comprehend sort of what was perceived to be the quote unquote norm uh, being a New York City person. And so to this day, and particularly, uh, how I was, I was raised by my mother and grandmother, and particularly my grandmother taught me you should, if you are drawn to something culturally or something interests you, you should just be drawn to it. It does not matter, you know, she mm-hmm. was drawn to what she was drawn to. And mm-hmm. so I just learned, uh, well, I find this interesting, mm. and therefore I should learn from this or mm-hmm. sit with it. And so it's somewhat of an eclectic perspective at times. But I just think it's helpful in the sense of then no one perspective is deemed as being holier than thou as compared to others. Mm. And, um, you know, I just think I'm heartened, even with, you know, so much of what's going on is disturbing. I'm heartened that our media um, landscape, our, so many of our screen narratives nowadays, I feel like there's just... Uh, quite a nice array of stories from just different perspectives. And I would argue that, you know, people who maybe have been used to just seeing themselves as the the dominant type, you know, in, in these platforms and these, you know, in film and TV, I would argue that there's something freeing and refreshing to be able to be like, oh, I can, I can just, I, it's not about me. Right. It's about this community. It's about this right. person. I can sit back and just go with it. Right. <laughs> like, totally. totally. I'm like sitting here like I live for the day when someone's like, man, I have seen enough narrative biopics about six foot tall black Jewish <laughs> women from the Bay Area living in Brooklyn that make electronic music and host their own podcast and uh, speak a couple different languages and lived in Europe for a little while. If I have to see another one of those where she talks about her interracial family and going to services on the weekends and teaching dance to kids, like, God, enough already. Like, I'm like, so <laughs> like, I'm like, when that day comes, man, yeah, like, that'll be the day, I'm telling you. What what is it that you're that you're really looking forward to um, in this in this mediascape? So, as we're talking about the different um, the the stories and the narratives that we consume in our our film and our TV and our radio world and the, and the changing diversity of everything, 
Um, what are you What are you really looking forward to? What do you What, what do you? I think just more more of that. I'm just um I I'm looking forward to what I'm already beginning to um experience. You know um where everyone you know stay within the realm of of sci-fi fantasy where it's just a given that you're going to have a range of uh, skin colors you're going to have a range of gender identity and sexual identity a range of expressions of gender identity and sexual orientation that you um and that it it will feel normal that it will not therein will not be where the conflict lies mm. that oh there's differences and mm. skin color and, right. and you know which i again i'll say um um so many programs that that's not even an issue um mm -hmm. you know um and just increasingly the conflict lies in something deeper and more profound yes um yes. <laughs> i agree know? i totally agree so. that's one of the things that i've loved so much about some of my favorite tv shows right now is it about it's about the, the life it's the lived experiences of the of the characters it's not right. necessarily about the fact of their blackness or the right. fact of their you know my favorite shows are what uh, jane the virgin and insecure right. atlanta and yeah race and culture and language and class all play into it but the the larger themes are about family interpersonal connection love sex um, rent, like so many different things are happening. And that's, that's a lot of what I want to see. I also didn't want to forget to ask you for those, uh, listeners who don't know a lot about the comic universe and what would you recommend folks start reading if they were going to oh, take a look at some, some comics, if they want to get into the fantasy world. It depends on where one's interest Lies. There's um, a website called uh, Comixology, C-O-M-I-X-O-L-O-G-Y.com. Mm. Uh -huh. And they have um, pretty extensive stuff. So I would just say explore. And it depends on what you like. So you might be into really beautiful visuals mm. um, or you might not really care for the superhero stuff. You might like um, narratives that sort of more reflect the quote-unquote real world. Um, you might like uh mythology or mm. um traditional fantasy whatever there's a there's a lot on that website there's just a lot there's a lot a lot a lot to explore and you can literally just get lost for hours and hours can you do like more. searches or like yes, filter absolutely. for search functions and then Abs you can find a thing that you absolutely want. and they have um you know they have recommendations based on like so if you're interested in like you know lesbian monsters from mars <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, just throwing stuff out there, I man. Put it in. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just firmly believe that having sort of that level of diversity, fluidity, just a normalcy around this, I just think it, it impacts, it just completely impacts our imagination and then um, what we see is acceptable. Mm -hmm. um, and how we interact with others, mm -hmm. our modes of communication, mm -hmm. which is all about consent. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know. That's true. It all ties into um, a lot of the dominant narratives um, for many different populations throughout time. You're reminding me of Robin D.G. Kelly's book, Freedom Dreams, which I read oh, a few no times worries. in college, which um, spoke a lot to how many of the the slave songs and the spirituals of this sort of 19th century and, and 
before and even after talked a lot about fantastical worlds and places beyond right. and it was a way for enslaved Africans to think about where they from where they had come from right. and what life was like before and their hopes and dreams for what life could be like after and I still think that's a really important part of our lived experience now is staying true to what our dreams for greatness could look like right. and operating from that radical point of reference where we are only as big as our ancestors dreams right so it's like we can always aim for all, all the things that we want to be all the things that the people that came before us want us to be and so i think that's also a great place for um ethical <laughs> science fiction to take us um, yeah, yeah yeah and uh, uh speaking you know you just reminded me i feel like we uh, i couldn't uh end our conversation without mentioning Octavia Butler just in terms of people who might be looking for you are so right <laughs> a recommendation you know uh, for an author who deals with uh, so many of the issues you've just pre presented um, she's most well known for her n novel Kindred uh, she wrote mm -hmm. uh, uh, quite a bit more and I found that her a prevailing theme for her was how to deal with her characters always seem to be dealing with traumatic change yes. in some way mm -hmm. and how to deal with after that traumatic change things don't really go back to how they were right it it really truly is a profound violent in some ways horrifying change mm -hmm. and what that what transformation ensues and how you live and and ideally thrive and um and there's a lot of um very i think overt metaphors around race and you know the experience of experiences of people of color um her last novel before she died was fledgling mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. i thought dealt um with models around intimacy yeah. um which was a bit of a different thing compared to the previous books I know from her um so yeah so mm. there's there's a lot there but you know for um anyone looking to get their sci-fi on who may not necessarily mm -hmm. uh know where to begin she's someone I cannot say enough about <laughs> Octavia Butler and also thanks to you I've, I've borrowed almost all of your Octavia Butler books and that's how I, I even know of her her work well my, my brother is a, a big Octavia Butler fan as well um, but yeah, that's sort of, she's been one of my biggest introductions to how science fiction can help you reorient and restructure your lived reality and kind of help you interpret exactly what it is that's going on, mm -hmm. um, especially as an African-American or African-American descended mm -hmm. person um, in the United States. Her work is a beautiful meditation on re-acknowledging the construct and the context of our identities so I, I just cannot speak highly enough about yes. about her work yes, um, yes. it can be very dark but yes also, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> for me it's been incredibly helpful and also in regards to consent she does talk quite a bit about gender roles and gender dynamics and plays so much into that and, and the interconnectivity of the human experience and how sometimes energy is even bigger than any other social construct that you can put Absolutely. on top of things. And that's kind of been a big part of my 2018 is kind of looking at the interconnectivity of the the, ener the energy patterns that we all have. Mm -hmm. I think it's called, is it the, the patternist? Or the uh, uh, pattern master. Pattern master, yeah. So the, I've been reading the, the part of that series of um, Seeds to Harvest that it's just been incredible. Yes, yes. 
and it's good and it's good you said as well readers should know but hold on to your seat. <laughs> yeah it <laughs> she's, does she's it, no joke it, it, it gets it, it can get real dark <laughs> And your favorite fantasy song to shake a booty out to? <laughs> oh, favorite fantasy song. Fantasy dance song. Oh, well, that's easy. I'm a huge... Um, um, you going to say Kylie Minogue? No. Well, I, you, you whispered Kylie Minogue. I am a big Kylie Minogue person. But um, the um, one, I'm a huge gold frap. Fan. Oh yeah, duh. And they they yes. just always incorporate fantastic science fiction, yes. glitter, yes. stardust elements. <laughs> so I just I just always go to Goldfrap. Oh Rap. yeah, <laughs> Gosh, you're right. I haven't listened to Goldfrap in so long. Okay, we'll put some Goldfrap in this. Thank you so much, Clarence. Thank Haines. you. <laughs> And since I'm a woman of color working in media, I'd be remiss if I didn't finish this episode with my recurrent section inspired by Oprah. She closes every O magazine with a segment entitled Things I Know For Sure, where she shares a deep and helpful thought about the certainties of life. So I call this section Tam Thoughts, for I am indeed Tam, taller than the average man. And that's something I know for sure. So consent to living life as the fullest version of you. That you, you've always dreamed you can be, that you thought of when you were seven, that fantasy of awesome adulthood. I'd love to hear about it. Feel free to leave me comments, ratings, any of that good stuff on anywhere it is that you are listening to this podcast right now. I'll finally close with a quote from David Bowie, whose exhibit I'm off to see next week at the Brooklyn Museum. Even though I want to boycott them right now, more on that in the next episode, so you better tune in. Bowie says in his famous song, Space Oddity, for here am I sitting in a tin can far above the world. Planet Earth is blue and there's nothing I can do. This is Culture of Consent with King. Cock. Culture of Consent with King is recorded in Brooklyn, New York by Leo King. I do all the production, all the sound design, and a lot of the music, but I will have a list of everything that you heard today in the show description. Get at me if you got any questions. Get at me if you got any suggestions for future episodes. I'm down for the revolution, for the stuff. Whatever you guys are thinking, make it happen. Um, can you tell me about your favorite exercise at the gym? <laughs> I don't know, I was just trying to think of something. Um, biceps. What, like, how? Let's keep talking. Um, biceps up, down, all around. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Sure. <laughs>